Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. I bought my very first house last month. I had to sit in my car for a few minutes. I was just in awe for a few minutes that this house was really mine. It was one of those things that I had wanted since I was a kid. As stupid as it is, my very own house. And I got it for a steal. The previous owner had just gone into hospice and her son just needed to get rid of it. Dylan was waiting for me when I got there. He was a really sweet guy who was just going through one of the roughest times a person can. He welcomed me in, offered to help me sort through the furniture to see what I was going to pitch and what I was going to keep. He wasn't the sentimental type when it came to flower-printed couches, apparently. I had just laughed and was about to tell him yes when something large ran past my leg and raked its claws down my leg. I screeched, hopping up on a chair and pulling out my pant leg to assess the damage. That was one deep cut, and I looked over at that flower-printed couch to see the furry culprit, a gargantuan calico cat with the most angry amber eyes and the meanest face I've ever seen on a cat. Goliath, that's where you are. Dylan attempted to reach for the cat, who just hissed at him and bolted down the hallway, and I heard him zip up the stairs. Goliath? I questioned as I sat down on the chair I'd so carelessly leaped on. Dylan held a finger up before he went to the bathroom and brought me a wet rag to take care for my ankle. Then he told me about Goliath. His mom had apparently always loved cats, but the accident that killed her husband also killed her three cats. Dylan, all sorts of messed up from the grief of losing his father, ended up pulling away from his mom and moved across country to go to college. By the time he sorted himself and returned home several years down the line, his mother had taken in the feral Tom. He's always suspicious of strangers, but he'll warm up to you soon enough when you can get him calmed down. Call me. I'll take him to the shelter. I'd rather not have Goliath chew up animal control. Besides, he's a good cat. He saved my mom. I think if he hadn't shown up, my mom would have died from loneliness. I don't know how anyone could be friends with that jackass Tom. That night when I was about to go to bed, I found him again, sitting on my bed, staring at me with a murder glare. I sat down on the bed, the hair on my neck standing straight up, as Goliath growled at me. Stop that. I shook my finger at the angry cat. I thought male cats couldn't be calico. Well, they can be, but apparently the few that are are typically infertile, or have a bunch of other issues. Almost as if he understood what I said, the hair on his neck went flat and he stopped growling, like I took the wind out of his sails. That made me snort but I held firm. Now Dylan's going to pick you up the moment he can, whether you like it or not. I don't want a cat. Not now. Capiche? Goliath responded by flicking his tail before grooming one of his front paws. I sighed and pulled myself under the covers. 
feeling a bit silly for talking to a cat. Good night, Goliath, I said. That first week was a nightmare. Other than that initial conversation before bedtime, Goliath spent all his time hiding under things and waiting for the right moment to come out and bat his paws at me. My ankles and calves were covered in scratches. I complained about his guerrilla warfare to Dylan, and I think he was trying really hard not to laugh, even as he offered his sympathies. It was irritating, and I couldn't wait for Goliath to take a damn chill pill so Dylan can send him to the shelter. It was exactly one week after I moved in that I woke up to hear Goliath yowling. At first I thought he was just being pissy, and this was his new attack on me. But as it carried on, I felt like he sounded sad. Just really sad. I ended up getting up and checking to see what was wrong. Goliath was sitting on the windowsill in the living room. For a cat of his mass, he was surprisingly agile. He continued to cry and my heart melted. Here I was, being all ticked at this cat, when no doubt he just missed his previous owner. I don't know what possessed me to pick up Goliath and carry him to the couch for some much-needed cuddle time, but he didn't try to hurt me. I stroked his ears and softly told him he was okay, that all was going to be okay. Goliath just repeatedly headbutted me in the chest as his cries quieted. We both ended up falling asleep on the couch. My neck and back were killing me by morning, but Goliath was still asleep, so I grabbed my phone off the side table where I had left it charging the night before, and I called Dylan. Hey, Goliath stopped being so angry. I think now would be a good time to take care of him, I said, quietly as to not wake him up. Dylan was quiet for a few seconds before I heard him take a deep, shuddering breath. Yeah, um, I can't now. Not now. My... My mom went last night, just passed away in her sleep. I'm sorry, he said. I looked down at the sleeping cat in my lap. Oh, it's fine. He can stay here then for a bit more. I'm so sorry. He just mm-hmmed before he hung up. I looked down at the slumbering Goliath and decided I was heading to the pet store after I showered. Whether I liked it or not, I now had a damn cat. I wondered if Goliath knew he'd lost his owner, that he was mourning her last night. Now I know he did. There was another reason I got this house for as cheap as I did. About two years ago, there was a bunch of unsolved disappearances and murders in the area. Heck, the next-door neighbors lost their three oldest kids to some sort of wild animal attack before they just vanished themselves. Creepy, but I'm not the kind of person who gives a crap about that sort of thing. So someone may have died on the street. Big whoop. People die all the time. But Goliath was different. I think I always knew he was different. I talked with him all the time, and he always seemed to be listening. I usually talked to him about how work was going, or what I was going to make for dinner, or what was going on in the book I was reading. Sometimes we talked about more serious things, about my depression, and how hard it made it to get up in the morning sometimes about how I always wondered if moving out of this small town was really the right choice. How I really wanted to be a writer instead of an accountant, but I lived comfortably because of accounting, and I wouldn't as a writer. Goliath was a great listener, never said anything back, but he was a cat after all. Last Saturday night, though, someone broke into my house. I had fallen asleep on the couch watching Netflix. 
Goliath had just gone out the back cat door to do his night prowls. I was alone. I woke up when I heard someone going through something in my kitchen. My half-asleep brain first thought it was Goliath just trying to get into the cat food, so I stumbled my way over there to tell his dumbass to knock it off. Instead of an oversized house cat, though, I saw a figure with a black ski mask holding one of my kitchen knives. I tried to bolt back to the living room to get my phone, but didn't get too far when I felt something cold slice through my back and impale me through the shoulder. It's not like I had a reference for what being stabbed felt like. I didn't even realize I had been until I fell to my knees, barely able to breathe, much less scream. My attacker pulled the knife back out, and I looked up, saw the glint of the blood-covered blade preparing to make another strike. I couldn't move. My dumbass didn't fight or run. I just laid there like a complete waste of space while the kitchen knife came down again. Or it would have if Goliath hadn't pounced his arm and sunk his teeth right into his skin. The guy shouted and shook the infuriated cat off, Goliath smacking into the kitchen cabinet before sinking to the ground. I scrambled as fast as I could to the hallway, blood dripping down my arm as I scrambled to get away. The sound that came from Goliath as he got back to his feet? House cats don't make that sound. Tigers, maybe. Goliath growled again. I felt the temperature of the room raise as cats just started pouring into my house. Through the open window my attacker had probably come through, through the cat door, hell, some even pawed their way up from the basement one way or another. They ignored me as they surrounded Goliath and the intruder. What the hell? Goliath roared, his tail whipping back and forth as he paced around his prey. The guy gulped before looking down at me. Call him off. Call your damn demon cat off. I coughed and shook my head. He's not mine, I said before I began pulling my body down the hallway. I made it to the bedroom and heard my attacker screech in horror before I lost consciousness. I don't know how long I was out, but I woke up to Goliath licking the wound on my back. I only saw what Goliath really was for a second. I'd seen tigers at the zoo, smaller than he was, his black fur thick as a wolf's, and the orange patches now glowing like magma. Those fiery eyes flicked up at mine. I blinked, and he was back to being a normal, if not slightly oversized house cat. I don't know what he did to my back, but the stab wound's gone, just a scar now. I'd want to believe it was a dream, but although my kitchen was mostly clean, there was a few swaths of blood left under the table, and I now have like four other cats living in my house. One of them had the nerve to have its babies under my sink, so I have to find some homes for the fuzzy freeloaders. While I lounged in the living room, I saw one of them hack up what I think was a finger. It scarfed it back up just before I got a good look. I turned and looked at Goliath, who was perched on the couch arm. Just what the hell are you? Did that old lady who lived here before even know? Goliath just looked at me, and I swore he winked before yawning and dragging his claws down my couch arm. At least I don't have a body to clean up, and I'll never need a guard dog with this asshole cat in my home. So it's like 3am when my phone rang pulling me out of my dreamless sleep. Hello? I said, my voice cracking a little. Katie? A familiar Texan drawl came over the phone, 
but I couldn't quite place it. Yeah, I replied. It's Davis. I took my phone away from my face to look at it. The number was restricted. Davis? The hell? Davis was my ex-boyfriend, who I hadn't spoken to in five years. The relationship we had was pretty intense. We had met in an online chat room, hit it off, and soon it turned into exchanging phone numbers. He lived about six hours away from me at the time, and we would drive up back and forth to see each other. For a little over a year, we would book a cheap hotel a couple weekends a month and screw like rabbits. Most of our relationship was over the phone or texts. He was amazing, smart, and sexy as hell, and we were totally batshit crazy for each other. Or so I thought. He called me one night, broke up with me, and then ghosted me. So him calling my cell after five years of no contact was pretty damn confusing. Hey, darling. Ugh, I used to love it when he called me that. Not anymore. What the hell, Davis? It's three in the morning. Are you drunk or something? I didn't attempt to hide the anger in my voice. Yeah, I know. I just wanted to let you know I was coming to see you. I didn't want to freak you out by just showing up. I don't think I want to see you, Davis. It wasn't exactly a lie. I missed the ever-loving crap out of him. I loved him with the very depth of my soul. But, but this bastard had torn my heart to pieces and then completely ignored my existence for five damn years. Now he wants to see me? Oh, hell no. I think it's best if you just stay away. I can't, Katie. I need to see you. The seriousness in his voice was a little unnerving. Why well, do... I can meet you tomorrow night. That place you liked so much, with a fancy-ass coffee. I could literally hear the smile in his voice. I'll even buy you one, doll. Damn it. Say no, Katie. Who the hell does he think he is? He can't just call you out of the blue and lay that cowboy crap on you and just give in to whatever he... Okay. I can do eight. Is that okay? Damn it. Thank you, he said simply and hung up. I spent most of the next day cursing myself for agreeing to meet with Davis. I didn't have a phone number to try to call to cancel, however, and I didn't want to be rude and just not show up, even though he basically did the same thing to you, the voice in my head reminded me. Although I had to admit, I was more than a little curious about what he had to say after all this time. The next night, I got to the coffee shop ten minutes early. I needed a green tea latte to calm my nerves. I sat facing the door when Davis walked in, and my heart nearly exploded. He looked almost exactly like I remembered him. He was wearing an old ball cap, hiding his sandy blonde curls. He walked with a swagger like he owned the damn room, moving with purpose and grace. Our eyes met and stayed locked until he was standing next to me, his eyes still the brightest, most pure shade of blue I had ever seen. Over the years, I had thought of that moment. I had a million things to say to him, but I could barely breathe. Hey, kiddo, he said with a sideways grin. I felt my face get hot and nodded like an idiot. He sat in the seat across from me and folded his hand on the table. The waitress came by and asked me if I needed anything. When I said, no, I'm good, she walked off. Oh, I I'm sorry. Did you want anything? I can call her back. I attempted to flank the waitress back to us, but Davis shook his head. Nah, 
No worries. He smiled at me again. I noticed it didn't quite reach those gorgeous eyes of his. The pools of clear ocean were filled with sadness. I reached out instinctively and placed my hand over his. He looked down at our hands on the table and I saw his jaw clench. We stayed that way a while, my hands on his. Finally, he broke the silence and the connection with our hands. I'm only here until sunup, Katie. I just needed to see you. He said, pausing to look at me for a second. He added, It has been way too long. I should have been here. Davis, we don't have to talk about this here, I said. The topic of us made me feel really uncomfortable. It was a long time ago. I mean, we are different now, right? I finally moved out of my mom's place, and I'm really close to getting my bachelor's and... Katie. Davis had a pained look on his face. I don't want to pretend that none of it ever happened. That's not what I'm here for. Then why are you here? I said. My heart was thumping in my throat. You're a long way from home to be dropping in on old flames for booty calls. He looked at me with his brow furrowed and his lips tight. That came out crappier than I wanted it to. I bit my lower lip. I didn't even know why I was apologizing. Why would I be nice to him? This guy broke my heart. I was pretty messed up for a long time, and just when I got myself to a good place, here he was, sitting in front of me in a coffee shop. Katie. His hand twitched into the direction of mine, as if he was going to hold it, and then changed his mind. I could tell you I was sorry a million times, but it would never make up for the messed up way it ended. I have to set it right. Set it right? Totally confused now. What do you mean, make it right? Suddenly I went from lovesick fangirl to pissed off. You're right. You can tell me you're sorry all you want, but it wouldn't make up for anything. And I seriously doubt after five damn years you could just make it right. I had apparently gotten loud and had stood up. There were people all around me, staring at me like I was a lunatic. My face grew hot again and I looked back down at Davis. He was looking at me his damn blue eyes reflecting the pain I felt in my own stupid heart. I couldn't take it anymore, and just walked out of the shop. I started walking back to my apartment. It wasn't far. I was forcing back tears and called myself a fool for letting him get to me. Suddenly, I felt someone grab my arm and drag me backwards. I turned to see who had manhandled me, and from the direction I was headed, a sudden whoosh flew past as a red sports car obviously speeding, ran a red light. Are you alright? Davis had a hold of my arm, his face contorted with concern. I looked at him, and then my arm for a second before I shrugged him off. Thanks. I'm fine. I didn't hit the car. Why are you following me? I lifted an eyebrow. I still need to talk to you. About what? I was trying really hard to keep my voice level. He looked at me, and I could see his ears flash red. Then he stared down at his shoes. I am, uh... I I'm going to need to stay at your place. What? I narrowed my eyes at him. The hell you do? I turned and started walking home again. What a total jerk. What the hell did I ever see in him? Katie, please, I, I can explain. He put a hand on my shoulder. Oh? I wheeled back to him. Explain the non-contact for five damn years? Explain that now you show up and say you need to stay at my place? 
I don't know where the hell you got the idea that I would just open my damn legs to you after you tore my soul out of my chest. But you are not, baby, I know you're mad, and I don't blame you. But please, I, I just need to stay for the night. I'm not here just to have sex with you or some crap like that. He looked desperate, which just made me more angry. Go screw yourself, Davis. With that, I turned and ran from him. I know, it was a little juvenile, but I had to get away from him before I completely lost my mind. I ran all the way back to my building and walked the two floors to my apartment. I bounded into my apartment and slammed my door. I dropped to the floor, my back sliding down the wall beside me, and wept. When I finally got my ass off the floor, I stripped and got to my PJs. I just wanted to go to bed. When I laid my head down, I must have fallen straight to sleep. Once again, I was awakened by my phone ringing. I fumbled in the dark to answer. Hello? Katie, listen to me very carefully. Davis's voice drifted through the phone. Davis, I'm really not in the freaking mood. Just then, a loud crash came from my kitchen. I yelped and covered my mouth. Katie, he's in the house. Get to the bathroom and lock the door. Do you hear me? Now. As if possessed, I immediately got up and ran into my connected bathroom. I locked the door behind me and whispered frantically into the phone. Davis, what the hell is going on? He's coming for you. Who the hell is coming for me? I heard loud footsteps stomping around my apartment, along with several thumps and crashes. Whoever was in the apartment was trashing the place. Am I being robbed? No, that's not why he's here. Davis, what is going on? The fear vibrated in my throat as I spoke. The stomping was moving down the hall now. I could hear my bedroom door open. Oh my god, he's in my room. Katie, you gotta let me in, Davis said. What? Let him in? Was that Davis out there? Why was he here and ransacking my place? What do you want from me, Davis? I asked shakily. I want to help you, but I can't unless you let me in, he said flatly. Just then the bathroom door was rocked and a loud grunt from the other side. Katie, baby, please, for God's sake, just let me in. Please stop, Davis, I begged. Please, I'm sorry if I made you mad. I'm sorry. Please stop. Honey, he was nearly sobbing now. Katie, please, let me in. The door swung off its hinges and I screamed. That is not Davis. My mind registered as the truder grabbed me by the hair and dragged me out of the bathroom. Stomp that crap. The intruder growled and backhanded me in the cheekbone, throwing my head hard to the side. The point of impact pulsed painfully. Say another damn word and I will slit your freaking throat. The man hissed in my face, then threw me on the floor and onto my back. I didn't scream, but I kicked and swung my fists, which did little to nothing. The bastard was just too big, and he caught my hands and then punched me in the face. Something warm came pouring out of my nose and dripped down my throat, and I began to choke. I kept struggling as my attacker one-handedly tried to tear the clothes off my body. He punched me in my side and I heaved. Get the hell off of me, I spat at him. He responded with a slap to my face. He grabbed my chin and forced me to look at him. If you're a good girl, 
the stranger said, his brown eyes peering into my own. I might let you live a while. He then produced a knife and held it close to my face. He then began to undo his belt. Katie. Davis's voice came from somewhere. Katie, I heard again. Davis, I wept. Oh God, help me. The man on top of me grinned, showing me his yellow rotted teeth. God isn't here, whore, he snarled. Let me in. I didn't understand. Let me in, Katie. I didn't know what to do. Please, baby, I, I just need you to let me in. I felt my shorts being ripped from my body, and I turned my head and the disgusting man on top of me breathed hot sticky air on my neck. His hand was gesturing wildly between his legs, and he made grunting noises. Davis, I whispered. Please, I need you here. I heard another set of footsteps running down the hall, and suddenly my assailant was thrown violently off of me and against the wall. I scrambled to a sitting position and slid myself to the corner of the room. I stared wide-eyed as Davis threw blow after blow at the intruder. He then grabbed the man's hair and pounded his head against the wall, which made a sickly thump each moment of impact. Katie, Davis yelled back at me. Go, get your phone and call 911. I gathered what strength I had left and waddled past Davis and my attacker. I called the police and remained on the line as instructed. I was on the floor of the bathroom when Davis came into view in the doorway. He was covered in sweat, and his fists were blistered and bloody. There was blood on his clothes. Oh, sweetie. He looked down at me. Concern washed all over his face. He then checked the back of the bathroom door and pulled down one of my bathrobes. He got down on the floor with me and draped the robe over me, covering my now exposed and bruised body. I leaned into his shoulder and cried for I don't know how long before I passed out from exhaustion. I woke up a little while later in a hospital bed. Davis was sitting next to the bed. He looked like he had cleaned up, the blisters on his hands already starting to heal. He smiled at me. Morning, sunshine. I weakly smiled back. Hi. What time is it? The sun is getting ready to come up. Davis looked out the window and sighed. I'm glad you woke up so I can say goodbye. Where are you going? Home? I asked with a frown. He looked at me then, with a soft smile, just not reaching his sad, beautiful eyes. Something like that. He took my hand in his. The biggest mistake of my life was letting you go. I wasn't going to lose you again. Tears started running slowly down his cheeks. Are you crying? I asked, squeezing his hand. Yeah, he chuckled. You going to tell anybody? I smiled and told him I wouldn't. Are you going to come back? I asked hopefully. He looked at me, the sadness in his eyes deepening. I don't know if I can, he said in almost a whisper. He stood then, leaned over the bed and placed a soft kiss on my lips. He rested his forehead on mine and softly and full of emotion I never stopped loving you, darling. I never will. I wanted to ask more questions. What had happened last night? How did he know someone was in there and that I was in danger? Before I could continue, I felt myself start to drift off again. When I next woke up, the sun was shining and Davis was gone.
Later, the police came and took my statement. They told me that the man in my apartment that night was a possible suspect in a string of escalating attacks on young women, living alone in the city. He became more violent with each victim, and the police said I was probably lucky to be alive. Davis had beat him so badly that he broke the bastard's back. He will be spending the rest of his life in prison, in a wheelchair. Davis had disappeared again, so I don't know if he was never questioned by the police. I am pretty sure, considering the person Davis paralyzed from the waist down was a serial killer in the making. I don't think they cared about Davis's method of detainment. Still, the police never spoke to me about my savior. That was two weeks ago. I've decided to move out of my apartment. I just don't feel safe here anymore. The intruder really did a number on my place too. A lot of stuff was broken beyond repair. Makes packing easier though. This morning I found an envelope sitting on my kitchen counter. I had a momentary freak out about someone else coming into my place without my knowledge and stared at the envelope for a long while before attempting to pick it up. I carefully opened the envelope and inside was a news clipping telling the story of a brutal murder where a young man was attacked by a suspected wild animal while walking home after a few drinks at some bar. His body had been mangled. His throat looked as though it had been torn out, bitten. Also, in the envelope, was an obituary. My niece threatened to give out on me as I read the name of the deceased. Davis? I checked the date he died. It was the day he called me for the first time in five years. I scanned the news clipping again to see if there was a time of death. The young man was attacked at approximately 2.30 to 2.45 in the morning. How? How can that be? I said aloud. I found a handwritten note in the envelope too. I kept reading the words over and over again. It said, Katie, I will spend a thousand lifetimes loving you. I'm sorry I will never be the man you need me to be. I want you to be happy, safe, and I know that you wouldn't be able to have that with me. I just need to ask you one thing. If you see or hear from me again, don't let me in. Davis. We still have ten minutes left in our session, I said while looking inquisitively at Benjamin, as he colored away at a picture of Spider-Man. This caught me by surprise, as I typically have to tell him it's time to head back out to the lobby to go home with his dad. Benjamin started coming to me around Christmas last year after he lost his mom. Some days he talks, other days he colors in silence for the 45 minutes we have together each day. Your time's up, he emphasized again, as he stared at me with his deep blue eyes. So much pain and heartache thrown at him at such a young age. Are you ready to leave? I asked as I started to feel a tinge of anxiety rise up in my throat. Something about the way he stared in silence made me grow uncomfortable. You are now, he responded in a barely audible whisper. Something about the way he spoke made the hairs on the back of my neck stand. Why is he acting this way? He's normally so sweet when he does decide to speak. I'll go ahead and let him go. What's a few minutes? I helped him put on his jacket and led him back out to the lobby to meet his dad. Has everything been okay at home? I asked as Ben walked over towards another child in the waiting room. About as good as it can be given the circumstances, Mark replied in a noticeably sad tone, 
My heart went out to the both of them. I couldn't imagine the pain they've both been through. I'm seeing some improvement, I said with a half-smile, to try to end the day on a more positive note. Mark thanked me, and I walked back into my office and sat silently at my desk for a moment. He's just projecting onto you, I thought to myself, over Ben's strange behavior. What did he mean that my time was up? I logged off my computer, grabbed my jacket and bag, and headed home. Your time's up. I looked up and met my husband's gaze. What did you just say? I glanced at the clock on the wall. 12.45. I said let's go upstairs to bed. You'll fall asleep on the couch. Zachary smiled warmly at me. He grabbed my hand and helped me off the couch. Oh yeah, right. Sorry. His smile slowly disappeared as he read the concern on my face. You feeling okay? He said as he rubbed my back while we walked upstairs to the bedroom. I don't know why I'm still thinking about Benjamin's words during our session. He's five. Lots of kids say unexplainable things without any meaning behind their words. I just told Zachary I had a weird dream, brushed it off and crawled into bed for the night. Your time's up. Panic rose in my throat as I stared at the barista. Ma'am, here's your coffee. She said as she picked it up off the counter and put it in my line of vision. Oh, sorry, thank you, I said and quickly walked towards the table in the corner, holding the cream and sugar. I was going to need extra energy today for my session with Benjamin. I added my extra six sugar packets to my coffee and grabbed a stir stick. I stared as I watched the sugar swirl and dissolve into my coffee. I was quickly pulled out of my trance as I realized the two girls sitting at a table near me were watching me. I met eyes with them and felt goosebumps rise on my arms. They both had unbearably large grins on their faces, and their pupils seemed to take over their entire eyes. I couldn't look away. Our eyes stayed locked on each other for what felt like hours. Then their lips started to move, slowly at first, like they were twitching that grew into wild, silently flailing movements. They looked inhuman. I started to back towards the hall, still in a trance as their lips moved wildly while their bodies stayed still. Still a huge creepy smile on their face, still with soulless black eyes. Your time's up, rang again and again, but sounded as if it were inside my head. I let out a piercing scream to try and deafen the words. Ma'am? I suddenly snapped back into reality. Here's your coffee. Do you need me to call someone? I'm standing in front of the barista. She looked at me with darting, confused eyes as I had just screamed in her face. I quickly looked over at the girls sitting in the corner. They stared in horror at the scene I just made. The smile gone from their faces and the color back in their eyes. I quickly grabbed my coffee and headed for the office. Your time's up. The words stopped me in my tracks, and I quickly turned around to face my boss. You're running late, and you have four sessions today. I apologized to Laura without an excuse and walked to my office. The day went by in a haze until my last session of the day walked through the door. Benjamin. He smiled warmly at me as he sat down in his favorite chair and pulled out his coloring books. 
I couldn't help but watch him, cautiously, as he seemed unaware of the toll his words had taken on me over the last 24 hours. I let him color while I reviewed our notes from our previous sessions. I looked up and tried my best to smile, but he must have caught the unpleasant look on my face as his smile was replaced by a frown. So, Ben, what do you want to do during our session today? I asked trying to get the ball rolling. The faster we get this over with, the faster I can go home. He continued to frown at me, and he looked back down at his drawing. Looks like we aren't talking today. Fine by me. Twenty minutes had passed as he sat coloring away, while I watched him from my desk. I finally broke the silence. I had to bring up yesterday's session. Hey, Ben, is it okay if I ask you a question? His coloring came to a halt and he quickly looked up at me with his big blue eyes. Why did you say my time is up yesterday? Was it because we were almost done for the day? I said in a light-hearted tone, trying to mask the horrible feeling I had. He continued to stare at me as he picked up his crayons and began to draw. His knuckles grew white as he gripped his crayons so tight I thought he'd snap it in half. I could visibly see his breathing growing heavier as he continued to violently scrape the crayon on the page. Hey, Benjamin, it's okay, you don't have to answer that. He continued to stare at me as he started to make small tears in the paper. Ben, that's enough, you need to put the crayon down. As quickly as he started, he stopped, and his eyes met the more likely unrecognizable drawing on the paper. We sat in silence for the remainder of this session, his eyes locked on his drawing. Okay, Ben, looks like it's time to go meet your dad. He got up and I helped him put on his jacket and walked him back out to meet his dad. I had to tell Mark what was happening. I asked if we could talk in my office in private and he happily agreed. I explained Ben's strange behavior and what he had said to me. Mark laughed it off in an uncomfortably forced manner and told me that, Kids say the darnest things. Shook my hand, and promptly walked back to the lobby to get Ben. Why the hell is everyone acting so weird? I turned back to where Ben was sitting and saw he forgot his drawing. Damn it. I walked towards the table and felt the unease creep up through my body. I slowly made my way up to the drawing, trembling hands. I turned the paper around and felt the blood drain from my face. Scribbled over and over again were the words, Your time's up. I sprint down the steps of my office building, out into the rain. I've got to get home. I look around at the busy streets and cars racing past me. I head north into a crowd of umbrellas and rain jackets to get back to my apartment. From off behind me I hear it. Your time's up. It's coming after me. My time is up. i got to get home. I have to tell Zachary I love him. I look behind me in hopes I could see how far back it is. Your time's up. It's in front of me. I turn around and slam myself into an oncoming stranger, knocking the newspapers she carried out of her hands and into the puddled rain on the sidewalk. I quickly bent down to try and salvage at least one of the newspapers, and my attention went to its headline. December 7th marks one year anniversary of the death of Benjamin and his father. Local hero, Corporal Mark McFarlane. Memories flood my mind like a bloody waterfall. I'm suddenly in my car, driving, 
on my cell arguing with customer service over a package I hadn't received. I pull my phone from my ear to look at my calendar to see when the package was ordered, and I suddenly feel the impact of bodies hitting the front of my car. I slam on my brakes after I made it over the second bump in the road. Smoke rose around my car as I frantically looked in my mirrors to see what I hit. That's when I saw it. The bodies. Two lifeless bodies laying in the crosswalk. Crowds gathering around to see the damage I've done. I ran the red light. Their time's up. Your time's up. I looked up at the old TV sitting in front of me in the blindingly white room. What? I said as I looked to the woman named Laura, dressed in all burgundy standing beside me. Your time's up. It's Zachary's turn to watch TV. It's time to take your medicine and go back to your room.